You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to Yahweh as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to Yahweh as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering." Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion, and burn this on the altar, on Yahweh's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of Yahweh, he shall bring to Yahweh as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. 
If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by Yahweh's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he had made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before Yahweh. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, yours truly, your humble servant, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 595 of this podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. That was a reading from Leviticus. That's the book that we're in, and I'll be reading the next chapter in our next episode, but that was Leviticus chapter 5, having to do with law regarding accidental sins or sins with regards to hasty oaths, rash vows, also laws with regards to doing a bad thing when you don't do the right thing, which is to say, when you hear that there's a call to the public to testify, we need witnesses. Was anyone privy to the situation that we are considering an allegation of wrongdoing has been made. Does anyone know anything about this? Please come forward, speak to the authorities. You happen to know something about it because you were a witness to it. You know what happened and what didn't happen versus what is being claimed or denied. If you were a witness and you do not speak, you do not come and testify, you have sinned according to Leviticus 5. And this is an interesting thing to bring up, I think, in our day. As Christians, how many of us don't ever go into the Old Testament? We don't ever get into reading the law because we say, well, Jesus fulfilled all of that, and so we don't need to pay any attention to it. How many of us suppose that the morality, that is the standard of good judgment, right judgment, what is right, what is good, what is proper in the Old Testament is done away with by the blood of Christ. How many of us suppose that there is no longer really right and wrong as meaningful categories for Christians because we're in Christ? I would say be very careful because Jesus gives warnings in the Gospels about in the last day, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, And they will point to the mighty things they've done. They'll have a sense of what is right (laughs) or good in that they want to be praised and they want to be led into his kingdom because they've done mighty works in his name. Or they have performed signs and wonders and miracles in his name. And he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. They're going to be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, thrown into the lake of fire. They somehow thought they were Christians because they knew the name of Christ. They called on the name of Christ. They utilized Christ's glorious reputation for some kind of a ministry. 
some kind of a public ministry. And not all who do that, we should note, are going to actually be let in. (laughs) Not all are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Many, he says, many will be told, depart from me. I never knew you. But when Jesus calls them workers of lawlessness, that needs to get our attention because workers of lawlessness implies that true servants, faithful servants, well done, good and faithful servant, the faithful servant, the good servant of this master will not be lawless. As in, we will not be just doing whatever and saying grace, grace. It is possible for Christians to sin and to say, for instance, I am able to do this thing because grace, and just pour some grace on it. As I've heard, there was a pastor I knew several years ago who that was a phrase he would use often with regards to any wrongdoing, any indiscretion or impropriety that I would bring up pertaining to certain members of that church who were behaving very badly towards outsiders and insiders, behaving in an abusive way or in a malicious way, he would say, just pour some grace on it. And that's not how it works. You don't just pour grace on wickedness and sin and malice. And actually, for that matter, too, if you read here that we would hear a public adjuration to testify, yes, that looked different in ancient Israel. But we still have that. That hasn't gone away. We still live in a broken creation. We still have sinful men and ourselves with a sinful nature, even if we're in Christ, to contend with or to interact with or to figure out what to do with. And so we still have court cases. We still have people who are charged criminally. For instance, we have a former president of the United States right now who is being charged with crimes and put on trial. I just got a notification from the Billings Gazette, for instance, an email to my inbox because I subscribe to the Billings Gazette because I'm from Montana and I want to keep up to date on what the Billings Gazette is reporting on. I need to pay a certain amount of money every month to get access to their articles so I don't just hit that paywall and know nothing more than the headline. But their news report from just a few minutes ago was that a federal judge is asking for the defendant, in this case, Donald Trump, and the plaintiff, both, to submit in writing notice of whether they are going to be attending the trial in person. Now, the charge against Donald Trump is an old one. It's not a recent one. It's from the 1990s. But the charge is, or the claim is, that Donald Trump raped a woman in a department store dressing room. That's the charge. That's the claim, which he has repeatedly over the years, again and again and again, denied. That's the charge. And so I'm not going to get into the facts of the case. What is the credibility of the person making the accusation? What is the credibility of the person who has been accused? I'm not going to get into that in this episode. I don't know whether he's innocent or he's guilty here. I do know that there's a lot of people who want to see him locked up 
for any reason, whatever, whatever will do the trick. They just want him to go away forever because they hate him. But what I want to draw your attention to is Leviticus 5 verse 1. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. That is to say, that's iniquitous. That is to say, it's sinful. It's a wicked thing. You can say, well, I have the right. I have the freedom. I don't have to testify. If I don't want to, I'm not going to testify. Humanly speaking, that might pass. But God knows that you are allowing a miscarriage of justice by not bringing what you know to the table. And that, my friends, still applies even after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. If that is God's standard of justice and goodness and righteousness, that doesn't go away. We don't get an easy out by saying, grace, grace, just pour some grace on it. If someone is being maligned and someone is being potentially put up for very serious punishment for a crime they didn't commit. It's a false accusation, which those do happen. Just like people can be guilty when they're accused, people can make false accusations toward somebody that they just don't like or they want to get something from or they want to harm and damage. But when somebody has the opportunity to testify, when they know the truth of the matter and they don't, they refuse to, They just shrug it off. "Ah, I don't want to get into that. That is a sin. Also, interestingly here, we see in verse 4 of Leviticus 5, if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these, verse 5, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, that is to say, it is a sin to utter a rash oath. Jesus gets into this in the Gospels and says, don't make an oath by anything in heaven or on earth or even the hairs on your head. You can't change a single hair of your head. You know, I would say you know, with the right product from your local Walmart or King Supers, you probably can. But nevertheless, don't make an oath at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no which speaks to clarity, be clear, don't hedge your bets. Also, don't give a hyperbolic affirmation or promise that you're not able to keep. It's a hasty oath. It's a rash vow. People sometimes get to scratching their heads in Judges 11, for instance, when you've got Jephthah, the Gileadite, who makes an oath that if God will bless him and prosper him, give him success, he will sacrifice to Yahweh whatever comes out of his front door first when he gets home. And when he gets home and God has given him success, just as he prayed, just as he asked, his daughter comes running out the front door and he's very, very sad. And he tells her about his vow to God. And she is very sad and she asks for a little bit of time to go mourn with and say goodbye to her friends. And then it would seem she is sacrificed. And what do we do with that? What we do with that is we say shame on Jephthah because God expressly forbade human sacrifice. 
He said, do not offer up your children on the fire to me like the gods of the nations I'm driving out before you were worshipped by the people I'm driving out before you. Don't do it. That is an abomination to me. God is not pleased by that. Also, Jephthah should have read in Leviticus, where we see the bit about hasty vows or rash oaths that people swear. And people do this. They'll commit to things that they're not going to follow through with. They have no ability to. Maybe it was in good faith when they made the vow and then they didn't count the cost. They didn't realize, hey, I don't have that to give. That's not mine to give. I've got a conflict scheduling-wise or I don't have the resources after all. And what should Jephthah have done? He should have atoned for his sin with an offering, not his daughter, but an offering for his sin in making that rash vow, that overhasty oath. That's what he should have done. As it was, he not only made a rash vow, he committed a greater sin in murdering his own daughter. That's not what God wanted from him. He did that. Which is also to say we should be very careful that we are not perverting true worship of the Lord our God, either with an excessive strictness to the letter of the law which misses the spirit of the law and doesn't take into account the whole counsel of God on the one hand, or on the other hand, counting it a light thing. Because apparently Jephthah either doesn't know about Leviticus chapter 5 or he doesn't care. He's counted it too light a thing that God spoke already on this. He thinks too highly of himself and not highly enough of God's law that he is ignorant or doesn't care, apathetic towards Leviticus 5. But I would say the offering system, that is done away with in this chapter. We don't offer animal sacrifices because we need the blood of Jesus. We don't need the blood of lambs and goats and turtle doves and pigeons and bulls. Those were pointing forward to Christ. And now we have Christ. And we are not under law in the sense of When you sin, here's the prescription, go to the priest, bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. We're not under law like that, but we are also not supposed to be lawless. And it's important that we know that all at the same time, walk and chew gum (laughs) all at the same time with regards to these things. Please and thank you. Moving on, John Knox, not his real name, over at Not The Bee posted up a little, oh, (laughs) um, embedded tweet chain at not the bee yesterday. This video of demons crucifying a lady and talking about being baddies with fatties isn't from the Grammys. It's Easter service at Mike Todd's megachurch. The embedded tweets in this post are from Protestia. And I have a real problem with that. For that matter, be it known that one of the aliases for J.D. Hall, Jordan Hall, was Gideon Knox. That was another name he went by on Facebook. His media group, I believe it was, was called by that name, Gideon Knox. Here we've got a pseudonymous John Knox over at Not The Bee posting up Protestia links, links to Protestia's Twitter account, which, oh, by the way, 
May, may I just say that Protestia being on Twitter still and me not being on Twitter still, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to hear anybody saying from the Protestia crowd, from the Jordan Hall fan club group, oh, you just didn't like him because he was mean, right? He was edgier than you were. He was willing to go farther and say the hard truths and all that. Um, I'm off Twitter, okay? Like I'm off Twitter and I'm over here telling hard truths to the point that this thing doesn't get off the ground. So let's just be clear. I don't think it's for no reason that Twitter and Facebook (laughs) have allowed your stuff to stay on there because they want your kind of material, Protestia, Pulpit and Pen, Jordan Hall, they want your kind of material to be to the fore so that it's easier to caricaturize good faith Christians who want to honor the Lord with their political engagement, their engagement on social issues. They want to be more circumspect. It's harder to write us off. It's like Tim Allen said a number of years ago, the scariest thing to the left is a likable conservative. Well, the protestia crowd, they are not likable conservatives or likable Christians. Promoting their stuff or letting it stay on there, letting it have free reign on the interwebs, I think, is of a piece with people bringing up that Westboro Baptist church, so-called, that would show up at veterans' funerals protesting about, we're glad your son died and God hates fags and that kind of a thing. The people who hate Christianity and they hate the gospel want you to think that that's what Christians are like. That's all Christians ever have to offer. That's all it's ever been. So therefore, vote for me on godlessness, more and more secularism. But here we've got this video, and I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but this megachurch in Oklahoma, Transformation Church, pastored by Mike Todd, did this big production, and they've been doing it for several years, this big production with music and dancing and acting and laser light shows and fog machines and the whole works. It was a really, really big production. It looks like a Broadway musical, really, truly. And it looks like in terms of production value, they really have invested quite a lot in it. And from a skillful execution standpoint, I might say, wow, that's really impressive. From a material standpoint, from a logistical standpoint, I might say, wow, you guys really went all out. From a theological content standpoint or from a keeping oneself unspotted from the world standpoint, I think it's valid to ask questions of, is this good judgment? Is this wise? I think those are fair questions to ask, but I'm actually more bothered by not to be highlighting Protestia tweets in a way that would either be ignorant of Protestia's infamous reputation or would say, that's no big deal. I'm actually more offended by Protestia and the way they have tarnished the gospel of Jesus Christ than I am concerned about Transformation Church and their Easter show. I'll tell you that flat out. I am more disturbed by the shenanigans of Jordan Hall and the Protestia crowd than I am some mega church being progressive. They are at least equally problematic, but I would say I have a sterner rebuke for Protestia and J.D. Hall. I think his crew, I think they are the modern-day Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees. And the terrible tragedy of it for their sake is they think they're the only Christians left. 
They think they are the only true Christians, and you can know and you can tell by how angry and mean and vicious they are. Don't buy it. Don't buy what they're selling. Now, if I could set aside for a moment the concerns about Protestia and the frustration I feel, not to be highlighting Protestia links, giving any credibility whatsoever to Protestia, what I would say is I tried to watch the full production. I watched the one short clip where, as Protestia writes, women are talking about their butts. Yes, that's fact check true, right? But context is actually an important thing sometimes. It is. I, I know the left likes to use context as a cover for every time they're caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They're caught saying something that's not true or that's awful and ugly that they should be embarrassed about and ashamed of and apologize and repent of. But context is actually important. That's, don't throw babies out with bathwater. Context is important here. There is something that is being tried here with incorporating these musical numbers and the style of music and the laser light show and the fog machines and all the rest to convey the message of the Gospels. Right? There is something here which is not all bad. It might not be all good, though. And so I tried to watch the full production because there's a link, thankfully, in the not-to-be write-up from John Knox. Well, now that video is private. I was into the video about 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, I couldn't watch any more of it because it had been taken down. And that led me on a search to try and find another link. And what I found instead was Mike Todd, the pastor of this church, Transformation Church, speaking to the public about how he's not going to post the full video. No, 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 no. You know, you guys got to come. You got to come to see it in person. That's what you got to do. And I don't know what's up with that, right? I don't. I think it's questionable. I think if you're going to go to these great lengths to put this thing on, if you're really proud of it, let it be out there. If it's shameful, then don't hide it, but come clean and say, hey, yeah, you know, that is drawing criticism because it was not so good. And we shouldn't have done that. And we shouldn't have included this. And that was a poor choice. You know, be open to correction here. Otherwise, you're actually undermining your gospel presentation. When you're calling other people to repentance, you have to be willing to repent yourself. And you have to provide things honest in the sight of all men, which I have concerns about because I would watch the full video to see whether I should give this a fair shake and say, yeah, it's not so bad. I would watch the full video if it were available. Now, the impression that's going to stick in people's minds is this is all just awful and horrible and demonic because demons were being portrayed or there were actors who were playing demons in the production, were they being portrayed because the demons are good and you should want what is demonic? Uh, it didn't seem so. It didn't seem so from what I saw. But that said, what, what you know, before it was taken off and made private, that video that I was watching for the first 10, 15 minutes, one thing I did see that made me extremely uncomfortable was a large black woman all dressed up singing a number about God asking Jesus, would you please go into the world? Essentially. I don't like the idea at all. I'm very, very uncomfortable with the idea of God being portrayed as a strong black woman. That is 
very dangerous and wrongheaded. God is always identified with male pronouns in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is neo-paganism to start saying, well, we can refer to him with female pronouns, feminine pronouns as well. And what's the difference? Because God's not a man. No, no. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. Go back. Start over. You're in the wrong here. You are very dangerously in the wrong here. I do not like the idea at all, at all, of a strong black woman playing God in a big production. That's the biggest thing I have. It might be the only thing I have. Women talking about their butts, not so good. I think that is regrettable, and you shouldn't be highlighting that. You should be embarrassed, right? You should feel bad because that is bad. <laughs> uh, don't do that, right? That doesn't need to be part of the theatrical production. You know, very similarly to the rabbit hole I've been going down, trying to research Jackie Hill Perry here recently, because Ambleside Online, this homeschooling curriculum that my wife and I have been using for our kids for several years, they have decided to incorporate a Jackie Hill Perry book into their recommended reading list for upcoming years. Because essentially, and not not their words, but my words, they want to embrace the ideals of DEI. They want to have their cake and eat it too. We're going to have our classical Christian education, but also dabble in DEI because we need a voice of diversity here. The problem is Jackie Hill Perry plays fast and loose with what Paul writes in the New Testament as scripture. It is scripture. It's not just Paul's opinion. It is scripture. When he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, that should be enough for us. It should be enough that Paul would say, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Also, it should be enough for us that the qualifications for overseers and deacons are must be the husband of one wife. Can't be the husband of one wife if you're a chick. Also, too, we don't see the normalization in either Old Testament or New Testament of women as leaders. In fact, again and again, when women are the leaders, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign that your society is collapsing, your civilization is crumbling, your people are under judgment, and the men are supposed to be the leaders. They're supposed to be the leaders of their homes and their communities and their churches and their synagogues and the nation. God does not call for priestesses, and he doesn't call for pastors who are women or deacons who are women, not as official officers of the church. Someone will say, well, there were deaconesses in the New Testament. And I would just point out that the word from which we get the term deacon just means to serve. So women can absolutely serve. But what women are wanting in our day in the American church due to feminism is not to serve. They want to get power and authority over men. When women are preaching to a mixed crowd of men and women, they are not just sharing information. They are teaching they are presuming to teach. They are exercising authority. If they are going to say, don't do this, do this, don't say that, don't, don't say this other thing over here, but say this thing here, no, that's not correct. This is correct. They are doing all of the things that an overseer would do, and you can't just play games with language to make it okay. Oh, we'll just call it something different. No, 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 no. You are not rightly handling the word of truth. You should repent of that. It might have been an honest mistake. It's still a sin. It's still wicked. 
it is still foolish and dangerous, and it hurts the testimony of the church. It hurts the fellowship of believers. It harms the fruitfulness and productivity and safety of the church spiritually, and it opens Pandora's box for all manner of evil, including this this, this transgender moment that we're in right now. You can lay the blame for it squarely at the feet of the radical egalitarians. You can lay the blame for this transgender moment squarely at the feet of feminists. Inside the church, first and foremost, and only thereafter outside the church, because it was feminists who made inroads with pastors of churches in America to enact temperance legislation, the prohibition of alcohol sales, and also women's suffrage. It was a union of pastors and the women in their congregations politically and ecclesiologically that pushed for women being able to vote in the first place and thereafter, if they can vote, why not run for office? And if they can run for office, well, maybe they should be put to the fore. Maybe we need to have an equal number of men and women in office. And if we don't have boardrooms for corporations that look like 50-50 men and women, well, then we're oppressing women. We're holding them back because anything a man can do, a woman, a, a, a woman can do too. Anything a man can do, a woman can do too because gender is a social construct because it doesn't really matter what your parts are there's no fundamental difference between men and women. It's all the same. It was an erasure of the distinction and the specialness of men in the home, in the church, in society that feminism campaigned for. And now it's come full circle. The chickens have come home to roost. And now you have men identifying as women because they can't get a claim, they can't get credit They can't get praise and affirmation for being men who are men in society. And so they figure, oh, well, then I'll just be a woman. And then they participate in sports and any other thing they set their minds to. And suddenly, not only are they being affirmed as women, they're being celebrated as the best women ever. And what we're seeing right now is an abomination. And if we would have been taken seriously, if we we would have been taking seriously what God says in the Old Testament law regarding men who dress up as women, women who dress up as men, that both alike are an abomination to him, that they are an abomination, not that that practice is an abomination. They are an abomination to God. There is a real hell with real fire that won't be quenched, which is going to be inhabited, a lake of fire that's going to be inhabited by people for eternity who God says are an abomination to him, who are workers of lawlessness. Yes, apart from repentance, confession, belief, God's grace in Christ Jesus, accompanied by fruit in keeping with repentance, apart from that, that lake of fire is going to be filled with all manner of lawless men and women. And that includes the ones who said, I reject God's categories for the role of the husband in the home, the role of the father in the home, the role of men to be leaders in the church and in the community and in society and in the nation. In fact, I rebel against that. In fact, I want to break everything I can touch until I get my way. It's come full circle now with men saying they are women, participating in women's competitions and being hailed as the best women ever. And it disproves 
the foundational claims at root with feminism. And so it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing to go parading a strong black woman as God or to say it's all the same. It is the pursuit of social justice and DEI and wokeness and progressivism, and it is rebellion against God. And a lot of the people engaging in that rebellion, they may not realize that it is sinful and wicked, that it's a rebellious thing, that it's disobedient, that this dishonors God, actually. They may not realize it. That doesn't mean it's not sinful and wicked and untoward. And yes, we have a better system now with a better high priest in Christ. So we don't need all of the ceremonial law from the Old Testament anymore. And yet we should recognize that confession and repentance turning away from sin is still needed here when people who claim the name of Christ sin unintentionally. Now, if they sin stubbornly after they've been made aware of it and they refuse to admit their sin, they might not be actually Christians. They might actually be going to the hot place forever. And they might be saying to Christ on the last day, did we not perform mighty works? Did we not have laser light shows and fog machines and spectacular musical numbers, high production values, you know, big turnouts in your name? And Christ can say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. He can also say to the folks who do the discernment ministry blogging business, the exact same thing. They say, oh, well, didn't we run discernment ministry blogs in your name? Did we not attack megachurch pastors who were teaching false doctrine in your name? And so also, Christ will say to many of them, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness, because you're supposed to be obedient yourself, first and foremost, not just pointing out what's wrong with everybody else so that we pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Speaking of that man behind the curtain, I'm reading a book by Matt Palumbo, which I'm not prepared to talk with you about just yet in length or at length, I should say, but I'm reading this book, The Man Behind the Curtain Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And you know, I want to talk about the whole decision to read this book in the first place before I get into a future episode where I'm going to tell you about the book and what I thought of it. Even just the decision to read the book in the first place, I feel like has its own peril because as soon as you say anything about George Soros in our day, people will get all agitated like, oh, you're one of those conspiracy theorists, right? And it's like, what's the conspiracy? The guy exists. He's a real person, right? He is a real person. He's not like the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, he's not a cryptid. He's not like Bigfoot where it's like, well, you know, some people think he exists, but all the pictures are blurry. You know, what's up with that? We have clear photographic, video, audio, physical evidence that George Soros definitely exists. He most certainly exists and is a real person who has made real choices, who has had real wealth generated by his choices, who is also, shall we say, disrupted political and social and economic institutions in the West for decades using his wealth, using his influence. He is definitely a major player in the political and social unrest here in the U.S. 
He is definitely a major player. And so I want to just speak to momentarily this knee-jerk, and I would say ignorant, flippant, scoffing tendency that some people have as soon as the name George Soros comes up. They say, oh, you're a conspiracy theory. Therefore, I don't have to listen to anything that you have to say because it might upset me. It might make me uncomfortable. It might disturb my peace to know any of what you're about to tell me. So I don't want to know it. I don't want to know it. You're about to tell me that George Soros is funding this 501c3, which gives money to this organization, which then puts forward this candidate or this program or this material that I'm advocating for or that I just said I like or that I'm appreciating or recommending to others. And I don't want to know, right? If that's all true, I don't want to know it. So please don't make me aware because I'm not culpable if I don't know. If I don't know, well, then I can't be blamed, right? Plausible deniability. That's what I want. Humanly speaking, as with the whole refusing to testify bit, humanly speaking, that might be true, but God knows better. And God says in his word in the Old Testament that you are not guiltless if you sin unintentionally even. Also, too, I think it stops being unintentional when somebody gives you the opportunity to know and you say, no, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to. It then becomes a different situation, as in someone was trying to make you aware. And if you didn't want to be made aware so that you could make things right, now you're in the category of unrepentant, stiff-necked, willful, lawless misbehavior, wickedness, unrighteousness. And that, that is a dangerous place to be. If you're just going to camp out there for the rest of your life, maybe you don't know Jesus. Just saying. More on the man behind the curtain after I've finished it. But for right now, let's move on. Another not to be post. This one from Jesse James posted yesterday. Chirac's new commie mayor says he doesn't like giving kids homework or failing grades. Now, let me just stop right there. It can be true all at the same time that I'm going to disagree with Chicago's new mayor politically and theologically, and also that I think this is an obnoxious headline. Uh, Why are we calling it Chirac? I understand there's a major crime problem there. Not too dissimilar from Iraq, the country in the Middle East. Lots of gangs and drug dealers and people shooting and stabbing and beating each other to death. Lots of crime in Chicago, for sure. And yet it's a gun-free zone. Go figure. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk that taking firearms away from law-abiding citizens makes them more vulnerable to being preyed upon by criminals? Crazy. But it can be true that all of that is objectionable and problematic and a trouble that we need to answer and speak to, and also that there's too much glibness and flippancy in saying Chirac's new commie mayor, right? Now, if he's he's a Marxist, please elevate your argument and your diction and have more dignity than this. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Now, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip, a short one, of the new mayor of Chicago speaking to the educational reforms he'd like to see in the city of Chicago. Here is Brandon Johnson, that's his name, talking about education. Cut one, take a listen. It taught me, though, was 
pushing like to eliminate sort of the standardization of our public schools. Um, my students sometimes would get frustrated. I didn't offer any test prep. Many of my other colleagues were doing it at the time. I was pushing our administration to move away from that. To be quite frank with you, I didn't issue a lot of homework for students. Um, that was my own way of sort of rebelling against the structure. Um, I, I don't think I ever gave a kid an F. I just, I, I, don't, I don't know how a student sits in front of you and fails. I know some professors may find that, you know, you know, this is slightly troubling. And cut. Another post from Not The Bee. This one, I'll just read the headline for you, but I'll put a link in the description for this podcast episode. You can follow it, check it out, see whether it is, in fact, legit. But the report is, study of 53 Illinois schools found zero students, zero students in 53 Illinois schools zero big goose egg students can do math at grade level. Zero. Uh, that's not so good. That is not so good. And these things do go together. Jesse James at Not To Be is onto something. If you stop telling kids when they're wrong, if you stop assigning them homework, that's going to help them to get better. When you stop giving them negative marks, when they are giving you the wrong answer to a problem. Why is that? And what effect will that have? And also, in his own words, what did this new mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, say was his reason? In his own words, he said that this was his own kind of rebellion against the system, which is to say he is actively trying to do what the system is telling him to not do. He's actively trying to not do what the system is telling him to do because he objects to the system. Well, now he wants to head up the system. So what is he going to do? He's going to do more of the same for the city of Chicago, like he has been doing in his lower level of authority. Give him more authority. He's going to give you more of the same, what he was doing when he had less authority. That's just what it is. That is what you should expect. That's what he's campaigning on. I'm going to go ahead and play cut two. This is another of Chicago's mayor, Brandon Johnson, talking about poverty and crime in the city and what he thinks is the cause of it all. Here's cut two. Take a listen. Mr. Mayor, like this is Vlad. Let me just ask you then. Uh, it sounds great on paper, but how do you pay for it? Chicago, as you know, is headed towards a major deficit in 2024. You say you're not going to raise taxes, but you have talked about perhaps other ways of raising money, including property taxes. Well, so I'm not going to raise property taxes. That's That's been the lazy form of governance for a very long time in the city of Chicago and, quite frankly, around the country. You know, the words that President um, Biden indicated in his um, union address, he said that a teacher and a firefighter should not pay the same tax rate as a millionaire and so, a billionaire. So, so, you, so Mr. Mayor-elect, you're, you're not going to raise property taxes, but you will have to raise taxes? Well, what we're going to have to do is to find the revenue from individuals who have the means to actually contribute to a safer city. Look, the bottom line okay. is this. We okay. have large corporations. Um, Seventy percent of large corporations in the city of Chicago, uh, in the state of Illinois did not pay a corporate tax. Seventy percent of large corporations in the state of Illinois did not pay a corporate tax. Um, mm. And it's that type of restraint on our budget that has caused the type of disinvestment that has led to poverty. Of course, that has led to, to violence. And cut. So you hear, in his own words, again, what he sees as 
the cause of all these troubles. What he sees as the problem is that corporations are not paying enough in taxes. Where would those taxes be going? Well, they would presumably be going to schools, for instance. Those taxes would presumably be going to a reaction to higher crime. On the one hand, you would think maybe law enforcement, maybe mental health resources for people who have mental health problems. What I would tell you as the author of, and this is why we homeschool, as a product of homeschooling myself, as a homeschooling dad, father of eight with a ninth on the way in November. Thank you, Lord, for that. If the person coming out of the education system had he had enough tax dollars coming in to pay his salary and was miscarrying his duty to teach his students. And then they grow up and they have graduated or dropped out of high school. I mean, why graduate even if it's all a joke and we want to rebel against the system? He is setting the example, just opt out of the education experience entirely. But you come out of high school one way or the other, whether you dropped out or you graduated, not knowing what you need to know in order to get gainful employment and run your own home, manage your finances. You come out not being able to get gainful employment and do profitable work or start a business and run it successfully, and then you're poor. So you can't do profitable work, and therefore you don't glean a profit, but the people who are doing profitable work, who have gotten a good education, who have applied themselves and they've started businesses and they've run those businesses well and they've made money, it's their fault. This is exactly what you get with Democrats and socialists and communists. Cause the problem, refuse to accept responsibility for the problem that you caused, blame other people, take from other people to redistribute to your constituents. That's what he campaigned on. That is what you can expect from Chicago's new mayor. But again, I want to go back to my uh, concern. I'll put it that way. My concern with the kind of framing of the situation here from not the beat. Calling him Chirac's new commie mayor, maybe not the best foot to start with. Is he a communist? Let's talk about that. If he's an actual Marxist, let's talk about that. Show us the receipts. We need to see those and you need to be clear and concise and make that case so that people understand that's what this is. Chicago has a major crime problem. Okay, show us the stats again. Remind us, just briefly, those crime stats. A helpful example in this piece is highlighting another piece at not to be where they were pointing out the 53 Illinois schools combined had not a one student who was able to do math at grade level. That's helpful. More of that, please. More of that, less of opening with Chirac's new commie mayor. Please, please and thank you. Speaking of education and wokeness and CRT and Marxism and all the rest, I hope I'm going to say this right. I don't know that I will. Uh, Scholl sisters, Scholl, Scholl, Scholl sisters, I don't know how to say this. I'm sorry. I apologize. One of those ways was maybe right and the rest can't all be right. Someone correct me and I'll know. S-C-H-O-L-E, 
sisters.info slash woke. I'll put a link in the description for this podcast episode. The page leads with don't go woke and know why. Continuing on, stand your ground on truth in love. The culture is pressuring everyone to cave in to its demands, using words like justice and love in confusing and unbiblical ways. They've turned aside many well-meaning Christians. God is the one who defines justice and love in himself and via scripture. Critical race theory is neo-Marxism and anti-Christian. Be impervious. So there's an event. Mark your calendars. Homeschooling moms, homeschooling dads. We need to get more homeschooling dads involved, by the way, in the process of education. That's one thing I, I really want to ask with regards to the Ambleside Online business, incorporating Jackie Hill Perry materials, rewriting H.E. Marshall's This Country of Ours to exclude the word squaw or references to the red man. Uh, where are your husbands, ladies? <laughs> where are, Can I speak to your husbands, please? Can I speak with the manager, please? Um, dead white guys, though. This this looks like a really good event, actually. This is the exact kind of thing that we need more of. We don't need to cave in to what the culture is doing, what the woke folk are doing, what the supposedly woke Christians are doing. They're believing a false gospel, and they're being corrupted by it, by neo-Marxism, by cultural Marxism, by critical race theory. They are being corrupted by all this DEI Nonsense. This is ESG coming to a homeschool near you. Dead White Guys, Classical Education Meets Critical Theory, May 9th and 16th, 2023, 2 p.m. Pacific. Coaches Monique Dusson and Krista Bontrager from the Center for Biblical Unity register with early bird pricing for $17.99. That is something I am encouraging my wife to do. I actually, if I can find the time, I want to sit in on this as well because I care very much about how my children are educated. I also care about how their generation is educated. That's why I wrote the book, and this is why we homeschool in part, so that I can answer the question of my peers. Why do you guys homeschool? Also, if decades from now my children are wondering, hey, mom, dad, why did you guys homeschool us? That answer has already been written. I wrote that intentionally at length and published scrolling on down here Christ unites all nations and tribes a christian education is not of one ethnicity or for one particular people group while the world cries aloud for racial reconciliation we proclaim it's found under christ's blood amen 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 here's a quote from monique dusson center for biblical unity one of the coaches for this event our vision is to see the church become a beacon of hope and reconciliation in a world that is divided by race and ethnicity. Be prepared to show the world what biblical love and unity looks like. Ladies and gentlemen, check it out. Christians do not need to fear or avoid hard questions. We just need to be equipped to live the truth in love. Amen, amen, amen. This looks like a really good thing, and you should definitely sign up. You should definitely sign up and check it out. If you wait and you miss out on the early bird registration discount, it'll be $24.99, but you'll be able to replay the video anytime for the rest of your life. 
You can download just the audio as well. That's what they highlight here. Do check it out. I am very much in support of this. I think it's great. Moving on. Speaking of families, and this is your country. This is your country on Marxism. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. You've seen those commercials. I trust with the egg being cracked, dropped into a hot frying pan filled with oil. This is your brain on drugs. Uh, My wife shared with me a video from a YouTube channel by a Victoria Terakina. We left Russia. This was posted up a year ago. And it's this young woman, a wife and mother, explaining why they left their native country, why they left Russia. My wife tells me she found this channel years ago and finds it interesting because this gal will share what their life is like. They're minimalists, and so they're trying to have less and have a simpler life, a less complicated life, less about things, more about relationship with one another, more about enjoying what is good and what is simple. But earlier videos, she would go to the grocery store, for instance, and show what life is like in Russia, what their life is like specifically. This video was very thought-provoking, and I watched it last night. I'll put a link in. But she's explaining how the war in Ukraine is not something you can criticize. You can't, you can't even actually call it a war in Russia with their censorship. Uh, their censorship guidelines don't want you calling it a war, or didn't at least a year ago when they left the country. So she was trying to be very, very careful what she said in the video so as to not make trouble for her family, put them in any danger. But the fear is very real that with as many people as might watch this video, if they are critical of their government, if they're critical of Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, what the Russian government is doing in Ukraine and around the world and with their own people in their own country, if you're critical It could cost you your life. You could die. Your loved ones could die. The fear is very real and it's well-founded. And take this as a caution. My fellow Americans in particular, take this as a caution. When we have communists and socialists and the radical left in the United States of America censoring us and wanting to teach our children that we are the problem. It's not hypothetical where that goes in the end. If we don't want to be in the same situation that this young family is in, if we don't want them to be without a country to go to where they would be free, if we don't want to be in their situation where we are having to flee our own country to a different country where we would be safe, where our children would be safe and be free, we have to take seriously encroachments by communists here in the United States. We have to take seriously what happens with big tech and with corporate media and with the public schools. We have to take seriously the inroads of Black Lives Matter and diversity, equity, and inclusivity training and ESG investments. We have to take seriously the threat that woke Christianity poses to our very souls, yes, and also to our physical safety our economic security, our ability to provide for our families, 
hinges on our faith in God, yes, first and foremost, but that faith should not be a passive faith. It should be an active faith. Our love for our fellow man should not be of the kind that when we see false charges brought against someone and we could testify in their defense, we plead the fifth, we keep our head down, we pretend we didn't see that, we didn't know anything about it. God knows. God knows. And he will not hold him guiltless who sees others being led away to the slaughter and says nothing. I was watching this video last night and one of my sons came up and asked where Georgia is because Georgia is a country that this family fled to and then they ended up in Uzbekistan as well. And so I pulled up my globe and turned it and showed my son where Georgia the country is. I have an old globe that used to belong to my grandparents' mullet and it still shows what was at one time the Soviet Union. And I said, this country, Georgia, is where they fled to. Different from the state of Georgia here in the United States. Hopefully, that will continue to be the case. We won't just trade places or become like Russia or like China. And hopefully, China and Russia won't conquer the world because we can't be bothered. But Russia is the biggest country in the world. That was the question my son asked, he saw how big Russia was on the map. I pointed also to the large Peoples of China National Geographic map that I have on my wall. And he asks, he says, is China bigger than the United States? I said, yeah, it, it is. Not a whole lot, but it is a little bit bigger. They have a lot more people than we do. Uh, Canada, according to worldometers.info, Canada is slightly bigger still than China. Russia is nearly the size of any two of those combined, Canada and China, or China and the United States, or Canada and the United States. That's about how big Russia is. It's a little smaller, 17 million square kilometers, or 6.6 million square miles. 11% of the world's landmass is Russia. So to flee Russia you would hope you'll still have 89% of the world that you could go to and start over. But for one, we should not suppose that just because somebody is Russian or they've come from Russia, they agree with or affirm what's being done. Also, just because you don't hear them loudly criticizing it, you should not suppose that that therefore means they're good with what's happening, what's being done by their government. But you need to understand they can be straight up murdered, they and their whole family, if they are critical of their government. We should also take note and take stock of, in our country, how fearful and cowardly many Americans have proven themselves to be because much lighter penalties are threatened for Americans who disagree with the radical left here, whether in power or aspiring to get power. We also, too many of us, are afraid of being canceled or fired or boycotted or hauled into court on frivolous charges, treated to a public spectacle, tried in the court of public opinion and found guilty before given a fair hearing, before the evidence is even seen 
or examined before witnesses are called. We also have some house cleaning to do, which we should engage in energetically before we go criticizing a young Russian family that might seek asylum in our country or in another country, or else we will be in the exact same situation. Consider Leviticus 19, 33 through 35. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. That is important. That is very important. But may I suggest that if we allow our country to become as much of a hellhole as China or Russia politically, to where people are trampled on and justice is miscarried in this country, just like in China and Russia, sojourners will not be treated well and they will have nowhere to go. They will not be able to come here fleeing persecution and oppression and tyranny in their native countries. It's important that we preserve liberty here for ourselves or else we can't do well by anyone else. I note some reporting from Caden Pearson over at the Epoch Times. This one's a couple weeks old, March 29th, but the U.S. has halted nuclear arsenal information exchange with Russia. That is a ominous sign. It's important, it's necessary that we've halted the exchanging of information with Russia. Of course we would. Of course we would. But then again, on the other hand, when we allowed, and by we, I mean President Biden allowed a Chinese spy satellite balloon to fly over the entirety of the United States, including sensitive military installations, when military leadership under President Trump also allowed these things and didn't tell President Trump because they were afraid he might do something rash. But now they have our number and they know what we have and where. And these spy satellites feed information back to China, back to Beijing in real time. And so they already have all the goods. They have collected all the info that they were going to collect with these balloons When that's the situation, I don't know that you really have kept your secrets by refusing to exchange info with Russia. They'll just get it from China, and I'm sure they have. Macron, French President Emmanuel Macron, said over the weekend that Europe should embrace an approach of, quote, strategic autonomy, end quote, when it comes to tensions between the U.S. and China. Reporting by Tim Pierce over at the Daily Wire continues, the French president said that by allying too closely with the U.S., Europe risks being dragged into conflicts and crises in which it does not have a significant interest. Quote, strategic autonomy, end quote, as Macron calls it, is his plan to lead Europe into becoming a third superpower, according to Politico. So what we have here is, one, hard to blame, given the very poor leadership of Joe Biden, the debacle, the shameful, scandalous, negligent debacle that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan, 
that left our allies in a lurch, that left Afghanis who had partnered with us in Afghanistan to the mercies, the tender mercies of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. That alone gives Macron some excuse for saying, we're not going to follow U.S. leadership on this with regards to China. Also, if the EU has a notion to become a third superpower, so you'll have the European Union, you'll have China, and you'll have the United States of America, those three. If the EU is thinking it has a moment to become assertive, uh, a third superpower independent of U.S. interests, I would say this also is a sign of the decline of the United States of America. And again, as I've been saying, I don't see how conflict with China over Taiwan is avoidable at this point. I don't see how we can avoid, I think we can maybe delay World War III, but I don't think we can avoid it at this point. We're fully committed to the business in Ukraine with Russia. That might change. Maybe there's a rash vow that needs to be repented of there. Maybe a new administration in the White House, a changing of our legislative composition in the House and Senate as well. Maybe that makes way for repenting of rash vows, hasty oaths with regards to Ukraine. But if Europe is saying the U.S. is on its own, Don't drag us into your fight with China. All the more should we tread lightly with our current leadership such as it is because a war with China is not guaranteed success when it's just us versus them. It's not guaranteed success. And we would be fools, and we might be fools, to think otherwise. Lots of wargaming by very expert people has said over the last several years, it's something of a toss-up. Sometimes we win in various scenarios that are tried. Sometimes we lose. And the way that things are being positioned globally and domestically, there's an increasing chorus of people who would sing for joy at America losing a war with China. And an ascendant China maybe looks good on the front end to these people, but they'll know. They'll believe in the end that that was a terrible idea. It was a terrible miscalculation. And yet, there will be a reaping what we sow here in the United States of America. As Ronald Reagan once said, if we forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation that has gone under. And there are a lot of people who want you to forget that we were ever, we were ever one nation under God. They want you to forget. And maybe, even if you remember, this country is still headed for judgment because we have leadership that won't listen, that is stubborn and self-willed and stiff-necked. But it's still worth your time to testify to the truth, to do what is good, as God tells Isaiah to tell the people of Israel, Isaiah 3.10, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. This is not all or nothing. It's not it's not a, oh, well, I guess if America's destroyed, we're all going to die. We're all going to be destroyed. We're all going to be in the same boat. So what's the difference? It can't be helped. No. 
tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. You reap what you sow. That is a biblical constant, because it has to do with the character of God, which has not changed. In fact, it cannot change. It is unchangeable. The character of his purposes is inseparable from his own character, his own faithfulness to do what he has said he will do. I'm going to read Isaiah 3 for you again. I've done an episode. You can go back and check it out. I did a whole episode on Isaiah chapter 3, but I'm going to read it again for you in this episode, and then I'll close out because I need to run and get back to work. Starting in verse 1, judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. For behold, Yahweh God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Yahweh has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. Yahweh said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and Yahweh will bear their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, 
baldness, and instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall sit on the ground. Now consider with me, if you will, if God so judged his own people, Judah and Jerusalem, what reason would we have for supposing that he wouldn't judge the United States of America or any other nation for that matter? If we are guilty of all the same sins, if our rulers and our wealthy people and our common people are accurately described in the same ways, along the same lines, I can't think of a reason. Can you? I know no reason. Do you? It's a sobering thought and it's a heavy thing. And yet the only way that it would be avoided, that we would be judged as a people, is if we are proactively humbling ourselves before the Lord, seeking his face and repenting of our sins. We should put on sackcloth and ashes. We should repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance as a people and call for repentance. And remember, it will go well with the righteous. A man reaps what he sows, and that's a warning to those who are sowing wickedness. That is a promise to those who are sowing to the Spirit and sowing righteousness. But like I said, that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.